Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. This is Psalm 57. I'm going to read it to you, all 11 verses, and then I'll go and tell you the backstory of what happened to him before he wrote this psalm. And then I'll read it to you again and see if you notice any extras. Psalm 57 begins by saying, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. Now, has any one of you ever said, God, I need your grace. Be gracious to me. This is how he begins the psalm. He says, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to the most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. And he will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. He says, my soul is among lions. I must lie amongst those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth and spears and arrows and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. And they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory. Awake harp and lyre. And I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens. And your truth to the clouds or the, the skies. He says, be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. Let me tell you the backstory of this psalm. Now, I'll come back to this psalm to read it to you after I tell you the story that prompted David to write this psalm. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, it says, When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then it says, Saul took 3,000 and went to seek David and David's men in front of the rocks of what's called the rocks of the wild goats. And the reason is, is it's like really steep and crags, like uh, little outcroppings. And these wild goats, you've seen those specials where the wild goats stand on this little teeny ledge, how they stay up there when the crack is like that big and they're on the edge and it's really steep. This is the place where David is hiding up there. And so here Saul goes to the place in 1 Samuel 24, and it says he came to the sheepfolds on the way. There was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. 600 guys are hiding in the back of this cave. And David's men, they say to David, behold, verse four, this day, this is the day which the Lord has said to you, behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as seems good to you. So David arose and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Then it came about after David did this that David's conscience bothered him. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. In other words, he was the one God chose to be the king. And who am I to kill the one God chose? 
even if I'm the next in line, it's not right for me to harm him. It says in verse seven, David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. David had to literally keep his men from killing Saul that day. They're like, God has delivered him into your hand. This is a promised day. This is a wonderful day. Kill him, David, kill him. And David, when he snuck up and he cut the little swatch out of his robe, his conscience bothered him. Because there's a couple places in the Bible that tell us not to lift our hand against the Lord's anointed. Whoever God chooses, we should never be against God's choice. We should be for them, not against them. That's where we see he's really a man after God's heart. In 1 Chronicles 16, 22, it says, thou shalt not raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. There'll be a punishment against the man who goes against God's anointed ones. It says that again in the Psalms, Psalm 105, around verse 15, it says, do not raise your hand against the Lord's anointed. It tells you the consequence, what will happen to you. Basically, he says, it's going to be bad for you. Now, here's what happens next. David's heart's going to be shown to Saul. Because what happens is, afterwards, it says, David arose and went out of the cave. Saul's already headed out. And he called after Saul, saying, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground, prostrating himself. In other words, he went completely down, full face down on the ground, bowing before the king. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men, saying, behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, he said, this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said, I should kill you. But my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now he says, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. You know, no, he says, no, and perceive there's no evil or rebellion in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. So may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, when David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And then Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. This young guy convicted the old guy by doing what was right. He did what was right. He didn't stoop to low. You did me wrong. I'm going to do you wrong back. So in verse 18, it says, do you have declared today that you have done good to me and that the Lord delivered me into your hand, yet you did not kill me? For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Does Saul know for certain now that David's the right guy? Yeah. Now, the next verse says, verse 21, so swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not destroy my name 
from my father's household. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So here's the result. David did good to Saul. And in the Bible, this is one of the things we got to learn. Doing good to people who do us evil. If you do evil to the guys who do evil, all you did was basically stretch the fight out to the children of the people. If you kill a bad guy and he has kids, the kids go, well, we're going to get revenge for our father. And then they'll take revenge on your kids. And Saul just said, please, when you become king, don't kill my descendant. Oh, by the way, it was kind of a common thing back then. It stunk to be a kid of a ruler. Because when the new rulership took over, what did they generally do to the children of the predecessor? They killed them all. Because they didn't want those guys to somehow rise up and incite a rebellion. So when a new leadership took office, it would be horrible to be the kid of one of the kings back then. Because as soon as your dad gets replaced, you're probably going to be 86th. Out of the picture, the kids got killed back then. So Saul says, I know you're the right choice. You treated me righteously when I was doing you wickedly. But could you do me a favor? I know you're going to be the king. Could you spare my kids? Saul had a son, Jonathan. Did David and Jonathan get along? Oh, yeah. They were best buddies. Jonathan actually said to David, you're the right man. I know God's going to make you the next king. He's like, David, when you're the king, it's going to be so great to have my best buddy as the king. I know you're going to be the king. He told him, it's going to be great having you as the king. My dad's a wicked dude. Jonathan recognized that his dad was acting wrong. He said, but David, it's going to be great when you're the king. Now, David will do good to Saul here. And there's a story in the scriptures where the enemy of Israel is going to come and try to kill the king of Israel later in the story. And they keep trying to set ambushes for the king. And every time that the ambush looks like it's going to work, God tells the prophet of Israel, go warn the king that the enemy is setting up an ambush. It was like he had a built-in spy. He did. He had God for the spy. And he had the prophet as the messenger to tell what was going to happen. So the king of the enemy, the Assyrians, he gets so mad. He's like, tell me, who's the betrayer in our ranks? Who is telling the king of Israel? Well, somebody here has got to be on the other guy's side. We got a traitor. And the Assyrian guys go, excuse me, king. It has nothing to do with us. We're all loyal to you. Is they got this guy over there. He's called a prophet. And he talks to their God. Their God tells them even what you whisper in your bedroom. You can't hide nothing from their God. And so every time you whisper, let's set a trap. Let's get him in this ravine. He says, their God tells their prophet. Their prophet goes, tells their king. Our plans are foiled every time. The enemy knew that the God that the Israelites served was their problem. So the king goes, how do we fix this? I got an idea. Get me the baddest marauding band, my best green berets. And by the way, the Syrians had some of the baddest men fighting ever in history. So get me those guys and go capture the prophet. If we get the prophet, then he can't warn the king. Then we'll finally be able to catch the king of Israel. They send in the bad guys to go capture the prophet. In 2 Kings 6, verse 8 to 23, they surround the prophet's house. 
the army of the Syrians. The servant boy that works for the prophet goes outside like in the morning, gets some water or whatever. And he's like, ah, there's um, an army encamped around us. This is bad. He runs in the house. Ah! And the prophet's all calm. He's like, oh, Lord, just open up the boy's eyes. Because the prophet understood who was for him, God. And when he prayed for the little boy's eyes to be opened, it says that the little boy went and looked. And he saw the army of the enemy around them, but he saw another army bigger with chariots of fire. All the angels of the Lord encamped around their army. And the little boy's like, oh, it's not going to be good for them. <laughs> They're outnumbered. And the prophet's like, yep. And so the prophet goes out the door. Hey, who are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for this prophet guy, Elijah. Oh, yeah, I I'll help you find him. I know where he is. He's him. Okay, it's him. But he doesn't say, hey, it's me. He says, I'll help you. Come on, follow me. So he leads the enemy's whole army straight into what we would call the capital city of that day. And he brings them right into the capital city. There's the king of Israel with all of his guards and all his army, all sitting around on the walls, looking down at these guys, and they're sitting ducks. And the king's like, rub his hand. Shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? He's asking the prophet, goody, goody, this is a great day. Do I kill him? And the prophet says, no. Would you kill those that you capture? You don't do evil. You should feed them. Make a feast and feed them and send them on their way. The king is just like, what? You bring them here? And then the prophet prays that their eyes will be opened. Because it says God caused them to not perceive. Their eyes could see. Somehow God blinded their understanding that they couldn't tell that they were actually following the prophet they were sent to arrest. And they go into this city. And now when the veil is lifted by God, that they see that this is the guy. And now he's led them right into the king's palace and they're trapped and the king could kill them. But instead of killing them, he says, feed them, send them on their way, bless them. Well, I don't know about you, but if you were caught by your enemy and they could kill you, they have you dead to right and they don't kill you. Instead, they feed you and they bless you and send you on your way. So it says in the book there of 2 Kings that the marauding bands of Syria came no more to Israel. They quit because, well, they overcame evil with good. It's a great story of how does this really work? David just overcame Saul's evil with good. The thing is, Saul is a slower learner than the Syrians. They actually quit after this, but not Saul. It's going to take another time. Two more chapters from now in 1 Samuel 26, again, Saul will pursue David. He's going to spare him again. And this time it will work. Saul's just a little slow. He's going to have to be spared by David a few times. So by the way, if you ever have someone coming after you, a coworker or a situation, your boss is, seems to have it out for you, and you keep trying to do good and you're wondering, you know, he says, oh, man, I was more righteous than him and said he's, he's going to leave it, leave it alone. And, and then a, a week later, he's back on your case. Just think of David. This is what happened to him. Saul, just a, two chapters later, will start to chase David again and forget all about the robe. 
It's funny how quick people can forget a kind deed, especially these power-hungry fellows. But let me read you the psalm now. Go back to the psalm. It's only 11 verses, and we'll finish with this. I'm just going to read it to you one more time, and you guys tell me, how does this psalm seem to you now? You know that David wrote this psalm right after he cut the robe and he spared Saul. And so he says, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. What destruction was passing by? Saul and his men. I'll hide under God's wings. I will cry to God most high, to the God who accomplishes all things for me. Now he's writing this after he's already got a piece of Saul's robe. God who accomplished all things for me made Saul quit and go away. It says he will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. Do you catch this line, verse 3? He reproaches him. In other words, he speaks reproof, a reproach against the guy who is coming after me to trample me. He's talking about Saul. God told Saul, Saul, stop it. And God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. He said, my soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. His soul is among lions. Who's he hanging out with? Who's he in the back of the cave with? Because I know some people say, talking about Saul's army. I don't think so. I lie amongst those who breathe forth fire. Amongst these guys whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongues are sharp swords. I'm with a bunch of guys that wanted to kill the guy. Because remember, his men were saying, get him. He's right there. Kill him. Not David. He said, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth, God. But they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've dug a pit before me, but they themselves have fallen into the midst of it. They were setting a trap for me, but who fell into the trap? And by the way, only God orchestrated this trap. Of all the caves Saul picked to go to the bathroom in, think about this. He happened to go into the one what David's men were in, with David right there. Do you think that's coincidence, just happenstance? David's saying, they prepared a net to catch me, but God made it so they fell into their own net. And this is, by the way, what usually happens when people do evil, they don't even realize it. They're setting a snare to try to catch you with their wickedness. And don't be afraid. Because God has a way of letting their snare, it's like one of those snare traps, it goes off on them. Their net catches them. They get caught in their own wickedness. So don't be afraid. God will take care of us, don't worry. And they said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. That's the instrument that they played the, the psalms on. Wake up, harp, wake up, lyre. It's time to play praise to God, he says. And he says, and I will give to you thanks, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. 
Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. Is he happy about what God just did for him? You ever felt like when God delivered you from something bad, that feeling of, oh God, thank you. <laughs> God be praised. Man, is a, whew, that was close. This is what David's doing right here. This psalm comes awake to me. It's alive now because I know he knows he just got spared. The net that was being set for him was by God's orchestration flipped around on the guy who said it. Isn't it nice when God does that for us? He turns the table against somebody when they're trying to get us. He makes it backfire on them. If God could do that for David, can God do that for us when we're in trouble? How many times has God worked for us when evil has come against us? How he has to turn the table. But does it stop the evil from ever coming? Some people get a little bit of a mistake in their theology. They think, I'll be a Christian and I won't have to worry about any evil coming at me. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but Jesus was all good, as good as it gets. And did the devil go after him? Did the devil try to tempt him? Did the devil try to, to deter him? Sure. Why would we be better than the Lord? If the devil did it to him, let me just assure you, he's going to try to mess with us. I'd rather prepare people for the fact that you're going to have sometimes the enemy that comes after you. It can be in the form of a boss. Sometimes people just want to fight. And you get to be the one they want to pick at. And I want to encourage us to learn from David's example. Do we stoop to returning evil for their evil? Do we do wickedness back because they did wickedness to us? Or do we do what David did and take the high road? Do what's right and let God be the one that takes care of it. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
Run! 